Hello and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I'm your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a treatment professional. Yeah, sure. That's a good idea. Before making any treatment decisions. On today's show, Mosey Williams, blood brother and social worker at the Hemophilia Treatment Center up in Northern California, joins us for the I'm Fine segment today with a focus on treatment transitions. Mm. And Jess Page from the UK is downstage center for the latest installment of Elite Athletes with Hemophilia, the companion segment to the new film Redefining Impossible. We've got all that and more on this episode. Welcome to Bloodstream. Listeners, as always, thank you for joining us today. And if you like what you hear, which I hope you do, I really hope you do, please share this episode on social media and all the things. Subscribe on Bloodstream wherever you listen to your podcast. And I want to remind you, dear listeners, that the Bloodstream podcast is, in fact, made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Takeda. Takeda's got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Mm -hmm. Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds, Amy Board. I know. And are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be you. Can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time, uh, bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream Podcast, I would just like to say thanks, Takeda. Thank you, Takeda. Speaking of treatment transitions, that is the subject of today's I'm Fine segment with yes. Mosey Williams. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, we've got another great elite athlete segment today. Uh, we had a lot of good stuff today, Amy Boyd. We do. And I'm very excited about Mosey on I'm Fine. Speaking of that segment, mm-hmm. you we mentioned on um, last Bloodstream that you had a webinar yes. um, with uh, the National Bleeding Disorders Foundation. How did that go? Very well. Yeah, Mosey was a part of that, oh. um, as was Mark Skinner, who was the I'm Fine contributor in the last segment, uh, and a few others as well, Connie Montgomery, Ivan Garon, and uh, people whose names I'm now forgetting and will feel embarrassed about later. But <laughs> it was uh, it was an excellent, it went very quickly. Mike Recht as well, who's their chief medical and scientific officer, to kind of give uh, the conversation that medical clinical um, uh, credibility, frankly, as well. It was really good and mm-hmm. evidence that we need to be thinking and talking more about mindset as a component of mental health, mm. how mindset has real impact on people's sense of self, their adherence, their uh, ability to actually engage in meaningful shared decision making. Yeah. You know, if, if you're stuck in a mindset, if you're stuck in a certain way of thinking, but then appreciating why might you be stuck there? And that was a nice part of the panel is... Mm. Talking about I'm fine from a number of different perspectives. You know, we had college students in there. We had retired people on the other end of the professional spectrum in there. Different walks of life, different regions of the country, different cultural backgrounds. Yeah. And so when we talk about why are you inclined to stay put, to not consider possibilities, to not hear innovation as something that applies for you, there's a number of reasons that any one individual person may be in that position. So it's not a matter of, oh, you have an I'm fine mindset. Here you go. Follow this. That's not how it's, it's more dynamic than that. So yeah. it was a great conversation. Uh, and I think it just was a testament to we have to be having more and more of these as as treatment innovates and moves forward. 
so does our way of thinking need to move forward and keep evolving along with the treatment landscape. That's cool. How did, like, what was the genesis of the I'm Fine segment and, like, kind of talking about this? I mean, I've heard shared decision-making, but I haven't heard mindset, per se. That's been new, and I would like to think that I'm cool and I've heard it around the block, but maybe not. I would like to think that you're cool, too. (laughs) Well, I I mentioned a little bit previously, Mark Skinner certainly put this in my head when Mm. I first started talking with him years ago about, in particular, his work on the Heme Active study, which identified 90% of people with hemophilia wanting to be more active, but just how many aren't as active as they would like to be in large part out of fear. And how fear of bleeding is actually a more potent driver of behavior in people with hemophilia than past experience of bleeding. Interesting. I'm more likely not to do something because I'm afraid I may bleed yeah. than I am not to do it because I have previously had a bleed right. and I know what that's like. So it's a very, it's an interesting thing to wrestle with. So that's had that in my head. Yeah. And then, you know, Jane Smith, who works at Sanofi, but is also a member of this community and has been for a very long time. She and I have been talking about a version of this for quite some time about how as as we as a community get healthier, so to speak, mm-hmm. as treatments and regimens and strategies improve and improve and improve, if people's mindset isn't in a certain place and, you know, not to get too dark, but if my brother's mindset about hemophilia was different, he would be with us today. Mm. His life was lost in part because of a mental health challenge, a mindset challenge that yeah. nobody in 2007 was talking about how to cha- how to tackle right right i saw oh we have gotten so healthy i'm f- i'm i'm afraid we may be a little complacent we had a contamination crisis i'm worried about a complacency crisis yeah. and that's another version of the i'm fine mindset yeah, yeah, a complacency yeah. crisis so i guess in some ways this has been in my head since this mission started and like responding to adam and then it clarified in talking to people like Mark and digging into the data and then being in conversations with, you know, longtime community people who really, really care and are in a position to do something like Jane, who said, like, what can we do to challenge this? Like, how can we kind of push back against this this idea of people being stuck? What do we right. do? And and here we are. We got this segment and a Jeff like the segment and it got branded as a webinar for cool. an, or NBDF. So we're seeing what and that's what I really love, too. We started this segment on this podcast Mm -hmm. responding to something happening in the community that tethered to a real, you know, area of need, right? Right. And we're seeing how this podcast segment is in and of itself leading to other media opportunities, other formats for that conversation to then be brought into. I think that's a great part of what we do here on Bloodstream is it's not about just having the conversation here twice a month. It's how do those of you who hear what we talk about here then bring the ideas to other places, maybe re-engage us or maybe not. It really doesn't matter. But how do the ideas leave the podcast? How do they get into the clinic? How do they get into the patient organization? Yeah. How do they make it to the advertisers, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the advertisers? Well, them too. Yeah. The advocates, the yeah, policymakers, yeah, yeah. everybody. Yeah. So to answer your question, that's how it started. And I guess we'll see where it goes. I think that's great. Thank you for that background and that clarity. <laughs> I work here. <laughs> <laughs> you have different responsibilities. Uh, that's Such true. as researching what's happening around the world. That's true. That's actually true. And um, like before we kind of move into that, I, I, as you were speaking a little bit, I I put, I think it's kind of interesting that we have an I'm Fine segment today and then followed up with a new segment with our elite athletes um, from Redefining Impossible. I feel like they're kind of joined together. And, you know, I don't think the message of that film is at all that people need to be any type of top athlete or even play sports at at all. I I don't think that's even what the message is, but I think it's like 
you know, beginning like another mindset of what you would like your life to be, what you would like to do. And some of the things that fear has like held us back as patients now, you know, there is there is a world that things could shift a little bit where we could like imagine something that is just in the past would have just been impossible to do, like Completely. maybe traveling internationally or maybe even just like standing three hours at the Taylor Swift concert at a theater. Who, who could ever re- relate to that? Well, yeah. Mark, Mark mentioned that in the I'm Fine segment, you know, growing up, having an interest in being in in the foreign service yeah. and these things that were just going to be off the table for him. But I, I want to use this opportunity just to put a button on um, this conversation. There was a really lovely piece in Hemophilia News Today on the elite on redefining impossible and i want to read an excerpt from that last weekend my perspective on the limitations of bleeding disorders underwent a profound shift as i watched redefining impossible a 40-minute documentary that chronicles the remarkable journeys of five elite athletes living with hemophilia witnessing their stories left me in awe of the progress we've made since my own diagnosis i was captivated hanging Mm -hmm. on every word and left craving more The stories of these inspiring athletes were so compelling that I yearned for a follow-up, hoping to witness their continued journeys someday. Incredible. And that just goes to show why it is so important that things like Redefining Impossible exist, not to encourage everyone to get involved in sports. As you said, Amy, that's not the point, but it is to demonstrate what is possible. It is to help shift perspectives away from I'm fine, everything is as it is to, oh, wow, I never thought this could be possible. I never even knew this would be an option for someone like me. Right. That's the point. And to to, to read things like that, that's the reason we do it. So just wanted to give that a shout out. And uh, if you haven't checked it out already, EliteAthletesWithHemophilia.com. You can stream it for free. For free. EliteAthletesWithHemophilia.com. So we have our I'm Fine segment. We have our um, Elite Athlete segment. And Amy, we have one other thing that we need to talk about before we move forward. Yeah. I was pleased to see that the WFH um, issued a statement on um, the current situation that's happening um, in the Middle East with Israel and Palestine. Um, And I I wanted to just bring um, attention to it from a listenership, um, from a bleeding disorder perspective. uh, perspective. And admittedly, by the time we record this, by the time it goes live, this is obviously an evolving situation. Things are going to be changing. Yes. So, you know, just that caveat being said, Amy, please go ahead. Yes. And I guess that was my thing. I have no call to action to give. Um, but I do think that um, in the future, it looks like maybe there will be, you know, a way for all of us to um join, you know, kind of the um, humanitarian efforts for bleeding disorder patients, both um, on both sides. And um, right now it looks like the WFH humanitarian aid team is standing by to deliver products as soon as those distribution channels are open. Um, The WFH is going to be closely monitoring and assessing the situation to determine how best to support those that are being affected, which I think is important. Israel has uh, an association, a bleeding disorders association that has a website that you can um, you know, go and kind of peruse and look and maybe help and support um, mm-hmm. those patients. Um, in Palestine, actually, there was a brand new MOU that was signed uh, in 2022, in June of 2022, to implement uh, WFH's path to access to care and treatment programs there mm. in the West Bank and Gaza. Um, so I'm I'm hopeful that mm. we will get kind of an update on um, some of that work. Um 
that the Ministry of Health is doing in both Gaza and uh, the West Bank for those bleeding disorder patients. But uh, this is just something that we want to keep uh, an eye on. I'm going to keep an eye on. I've been really, um, you know, drawn to uh, drawn to the news uh, a little bit with this crisis and to uh, think about bleeding disorder patients over there. That is going to be something that all of us can be aware of. And the second that we have um, a call to action for all of us, uh, how we can help, um, where we can, like, you know, focus our funding and focus our advocacy efforts um, here in the States, we'll let you know. Appreciate that, Amy. You also were recently on a trip to Germany to interview a family that were, well, why don't you tell the story? Sure. Um, we're actually doing a international documentary series um, for Roche, actually. And one of the um, families that we interviewed, and I should say I wasn't a part of the team. I went over there, so I, I heard from it um, secondhand. But um, one of the families are Ukrainian refugees um, that are actually living in Germany and uh, hearing their story um, about how they got out, how they how, you know, I think, um, you know, the dad in particular would not have been allowed to leave the country um, with his wife and child unless the child had um, a quote-unquote disability like hemophilia. Otherwise, he would have had to go to the military. He would have had to go to the military, have had to stay in the country. He wouldn't have been able to leave. Hmm. Um, so the family unit is together, but, you know, it's... it's um, it is a complete sh culture shock. They're learning German. Um, they're in good spirits, but it was just a, a, a really... Um, quite frankly, a raw story to hear, sure. um, you know, about uh, just thinking about kind of our world, our, um, <laughs> you know, our conversations here in the States about bleeding disorders and to put in perspective what it's like for those living in other countries around the world. So it was um, it was a really powerful story. Um, we look forward to being able to share it with you as soon as it's done and edited and all the things. But yeah. This is hardly a topic or a time to be, you know, pumping content. But if if you are interested in the experience of people with hemophilia, von Willebrand disease, rare factor deficiencies, bleeding disorders, who live around the world in different systems and in places of the world that are greatly impacted by war and conflict, over on the Final Summit podcast, which we've done two seasons of, there's a number of stories and, and a couple of episodes that put particular focus on the impact that war and conflict has on access and overall quality of life for people with hemophilia and bleeding disorders. So if if because of the moment we're living through, those kind of stories would be meaningful to you right now, mm. go over and listen to some of the final summit hosted by Chris Bombardier. We'll throw a link in the program notes. Um, and as Amy said, we will continue to Keep alert to what the WFH, what Save One Life, and what other leading advocacy patient organizations are saying and reporting as it relates to what's happening currently in the Middle East and how it impacts our bleeding disorders population. So stay tuned, stay safe, stay healthy. And with that, we will make uh, as best a transition as we can now into something very different. Sanofi seeks to expand the idea of what's possible for the hemophilia community. Take a deeper look at the science behind hemophilia and an important connection between factor activity levels and potential activities at levelsmatter.com. And now, Elite Athletes with Jess Page. Rugby, the sport that's not for the faint of heart. 
It's a battle waged on a field of glory, where warriors collide with bone-jarring tackles and unwavering determination. Forget the pads and helmets of American football. In rugby, it's grit, skill, and sheer heart that define the game. It's a sport where men and women run tirelessly, passing, tackling, and scoring with the ferocity of warriors of old. Rugby is a symphony of power and grace, a spectacle that transcends borders and cultures. So sit back, America, and get ready to witness the unyielding spirit of rugby as we explore the world of athletes who redefine what's possible on the field. Welcome to Redefining Impossible, the podcast. I'm your host, Keith Korneluk, and today we have a story that will challenge your perceptions of what's possible. We're diving deep into the world of elite athletes with hemophilia, and our guest for this episode is Jess Page, a rugby player hailing from just outside of Oxford, England. Hemophilia severity is determined by factor activity levels, a measurement of how much factor you have in your blood at the time of diagnosis. The more factor you have in your body over time, the better your bleed protection is which is why many people with hemophilia choose to treat prophylactically. Your doctor can perform measurements to evaluate the factor activity levels in your blood. Learn more about the importance of factor activity levels by talking to your doctor and visiting levelsmatter.com. I'm Jess and I live in England, just outside of Oxford. Jess was diagnosed with a bleeding disorder at the age of 18. At first, she thought her life was going to take a drastically different turn. Immediately when I was diagnosed, I thought that this would be a massive change, that you couldn't do the same things with a diagnosis of a bleeding disorder that perhaps a typical person could. But Jess wasn't one to back down from a challenge. She decided she could still pursue her dreams and adapted her life accordingly. I can do anything that I want to do and I had 18 years where I didn't have that diagnosis and you know I still did everything that I wanted to do. Jess's journey didn't stop there. Seven years later she received a second diagnosis, this time for von Willebrand's disorder. It was a game changer, helping her get the right treatment and understanding her condition better. Weirdly having that von Willebrand's disorder diagnosis really helped because suddenly it wasn't just that I was a bleeder. It was it was actually because I, I had these two bleeding disorder diagnoses. It makes it more complex to treat um, because I think they obviously bounce off each other and they can make the bleeding symptoms worse than they are. Um, but yeah, weirdly, that second diagnosis was from that perspective, probably the best thing that could have happened. Now let's get to the heart of the story. Jess Page, the rugby player with the bleeding disorder. So I should probably start by saying, you're not supposed to play rugby when you have a bleeding disorder, and my center did advise against it. <laughs> against all odds, Jess pursued her passion for rugby, taking extra precautions to ensure her safety. I did wear a scrum cap, which is kind of like, it's a bit like a soft padded helmet. So if I did take a knock, it kind of took the edge off, whatever that knock was. Um, so that kind of gave me that little bit of extra protection. She took treatment before games, informed her coaches, and had a supportive physio team. The physios at the rugby club were amazing. And again, did their 
re they did their own research about what it was like to have a bleeding disorder. And so if I came off the pitch with a little knock or stuff, they, they kind of gave me that little bit of extra care um, to try and get me back and get me playing. Jess's journey was marked by spectacular bruises, which she wore as badges of honor. I had the most spectacular bruises. Um, and it was, it was like a bit of a game because everyone would like, you know, after the game compare what bruises they had. I used to just come in and be like, well, I have the best ones. <laughs> I win that contest. Looking back, Jess reflects on her journey and the importance of fitness. I think now I've got a better understanding of how important it is to have good muscle strength to support like the bones and things like that. And I think I would just start because I just got straight into rugby having no level of fitness. I hated exercise as a child, refused to do it. I remember when I was in secondary school doing PE, um, I used to get walked around the field because I refused to join in with the sport that was going on. And they were like, we well, have to do some kind of exercise. Despite not having a fitness background, Jess loved every moment of her rugby days. Playing rugby was some of the best years of my life. I loved it. I wouldn't do anything differently. Jess shared her secret to post-training recovery, which involved listening to her body carefully. So for me, it's just about that balance of kind of seeing if something hurts, give it a break, focus on something else for a little bit. You know, if I've hurt my knee, do some upper body stuff. If I've hurt my arm, do some, you know, mix it up a bit. She emphasized the importance of differentiating between normal discomfort and a potential bleed. Does something hurt because I'm training really well? Like, do you know what I mean? Like that kind of ache? Or does something hurt because actually this is a bleed? And for me, there's a really big difference. So something's hurting because it's just uncomfortable, but I'm gonna push through it. Then I know I've hit that sweet spot. Jess learned the hard way that pushing through the pain could lead to longer recovery times. I did learn the hard way that, you know, by forcing myself back on there, I'm putting myself in a situation where I'm gonna be off for even longer. But Jess wasn't alone on this journey. Her father, who also had hemophilia, served as her inspiration. The only other person I've known growing up is my dad. He has severe hemophilia and He's always been an incredibly positive role model for me growing up. In the bleeding disorder community, Jess found more role models, like Clive Smith, who pushed her to overcome obstacles. I do know so many positive role models. Jess is determined to challenge the notion that a bleeding disorder should limit anyone's potential. I just don't want children growing up feeling like their bleeding disorder is a reason why they can't do things. and. That's always been what I've said is that I did play rugby, but there was things I did to make sure that I didn't put myself in harm's way and I didn't get injured. She believes in advocating for yourself and finding ways to achieve your goals. Your bleeding disorder is never, ever a reason not to do something. You just need to find a way around it. Jess also stresses the importance of women sharing their stories and facing unique challenges head on. We need more people sharing their stories and hearing their voices so that other people can identify with those. Jess Page's journey is a testament to the power of determination, support, and the unwavering belief that you can overcome any obstacle, no matter how impossible it may seem. Thanks for joining us for this month's segment of Redefining Impossible, the podcast. Don't forget to watch the film Redefining Impossible for free at EliteAthletesWithHemophilia.com. And thanks once again to Sanofi for sponsoring this segment. I'm Keith Corneluk. And I'll talk to you next month on Redefining Impossible, the podcast.
only on Bloodstream. Sanofi aims to raise the bar for patients living with hemophilia. Reimagine what's possible by visiting rarebloodddisorders.com to hear more about Sanofi's dedication to the bleeding disorders community. So did you hear why all the hemophilia nurses are going to be mad at me by listening to that segment? Because she's from the United Kingdom? No! She plays rugby! I could see why that might be a thing. That was a good tease. It was a good tease. That was a very good tease. Yeah. I hope rugby's, have... rugby's like a no-no. <laughs> rugby is like a no-no. Very good. But just Paige is... Like a yeah-yeah. Yes! Yeah. She's, she's also... Uh, I loved her in the movie. I, I, I wish to know her in real life. Well, good she's news for you. We got her on this segment, which hey! you can go back to and listen anytime. That's true. And we'll probably speak to her again okay. at some point in the not too distant future. Holla. Next, though, we're going to speak to Mosey Williams. Oh, Mosey, love Mosey Williams. Blood brother, clinical social worker, and the contributor to today's I'm Fine segment. And I'm Fine aims to challenge entrenched mm. ideas around chronic resiliency and satisfaction with suboptimal outcomes by inspiring people with hemophilia to seek education and truly consider the possibilities. Sanofi seeks to expand the idea of what's possible for the hemophilia community. Take a deeper look at the science behind hemophilia and an important connection between factor activity levels and potential activities at levelsmatter.com. Now, on to I'm Fine. This is all I've ever known. Is that even possible for me? I don't want to miss anything. I don't need that. I don't want to acknowledge my pain. Fine. I don't want to get poked with needles. I don't, I don't want that. that. There's nothing wrong. I'm fine. 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 If it ain't broke, don't fix it. To be honest, I've never really liked that saying. Just because something isn't broken doesn't mean it couldn't be better. Then again, if a person doesn't have any concept of what better is or what better could look like, is it reasonable to expect any kind of a change? Today, I'm joined by my friend, blood brother, and clinical social worker, Mosey Williams, to share some insights into how the I'm Fine mindset has impacted him as both a person with hemophilia and a clinician treating patients with hemophilia, and we put a particular spotlight on the introduction of longer-lasting factor replacement products for a portion of this conversation. Mosey, always great to see you. Thanks for being here. And let's just dive right in. Have you ever experienced either fear or anxiety related to switching from one treatment to a new treatment for hemophilia? And if so, where do you think that fear or anxiety came from? Yes, I have. I think um, it came from when I, th I think about the past, you know, and the bad blood epidemic that our community went through. And I think sometimes um, being anxious, it's like you kind of generalize the experience from the past. And even though, you know, it's not the same in the sense that there, there isn't the risk there, there's still that fear, like what what can happen, you know? And then also in changing a treatment, like what if it's not what I think it is? And then if the previous medication, like if I want to go back to that one, that one doesn't work anymore. Um, or for me, I have an inhibitor. 
So there were, at a point in my life, there were certain products that did not work. And so then you think, if I try this new thing, you know, will the inhibitor come back um, or will the previous not work? And so those are some of the things that, you know, I thought about. Mosey, as both a patient and a clinician, what do you recall from the transition from standard Half-Life products to extended Half-Life products? Was that a smooth and easy transition? Or did it come with nuances for you or your patients? I guess as a patient first, um, once I made the decision and I had, you know, I had the information after talking to providers and um, I was ready and then I was able to, it was a smooth transition at that point for me. I, I felt that I would have more coverage and I did. That was one of the reasons for going into it. Uh, for patients, you know, we think about uh, shared decision making, you know, and talking with them and talking with a, a medical provider too. Um, some will look at like the cost benefit analysis of like, what am I, you know, what am I gaining in, in, in changing medications? Um, some of their, the, the comments were, what are the life changes that could come from this, the pros and cons? Will I have had more coverage? Will I be able to be more active? And so those were um, kind of the things that, that uh, we kind of talked through uh, with patients to see, you know, what are the things that you're looking for from this? So there weren't um, um, unrealistic expectations. Mosey, as you think about the future of treatment and management for hemophilia, for both yourself personally as well as for your patients, how do you recommend people challenge the I'm fine mindset? It's tough because I think we, you know, we tend to be like creatures of habit. And if something works, we're just going with it. You know, don't rock the boat, right? And particularly with the history we had, you know, something is working and it's safe, and let's just, you know, stick with that. And that's fine. Um, but, you know, as a as a mental health provider, sometimes, you know, from a positive psychology perspective is, you know, you know, this is working, but do you want more? You know, what if there was better out there? Um, I think about the, the book, uh, who moved my cheese, you know, and in terms of like thinking about change in life and sticking with this, you know, and not that these things that we currently have, the treatments aren't going to work at a certain point, but you know, what if there is something else there that can also work? What I'll try to do is, in my conversations saying like, you know, what do you like about the current medication? You know, what are the things that you like? What are the things you don't like? And then say, okay, well, what if there was a product that, you know, these things were an issue for? You know, um, I used to have trouble, uh, you know, with uh, veins and getting in the vein, even after so many years and basically being you know, proficient at it. But sometimes, you know, veins are older and they're, you know, you don't get the blood return. And so, you know, if there are products that you don't have to treat as much or don't have to use veins, you know, considering those because it can be something that uh, is helpful. Uh, and also talking to um, friends in the community, people that have tried other medications. You know, I know patients that would say they wouldn't necessarily try something new until they've talked to somebody else just to get their anecdotal experience, and, you know, to look at the benefits and the challenges of the new treatment. So, um when somebody is thinking about, you know, kind of sticking with it, what they're doing, you know, just reiterating that we're not trying to, you know, change your mind. You have the patient choice, but the challenge that you have or the things that you enjoy, what if there are other treatments that do those things better? And, you know, what would that be like to think about? So hemophilia severity is determined by factor activity levels, a measurement of how much factor you have in your blood at time of diagnosis. The more factor you have in your body over time, 
The better your bleed protection is, which is why many people with hemophilia choose to treat prophylactically. Your doctor can perform measurements to evaluate the factor activity levels in your blood. Learn more about the importance of factor activity levels by talking to your doctor and visiting levelsmatter.com. Sanofi aims to raise the bar for patients living with hemophilia. Reimagine what's possible by visiting rarebloodddisorders.com to hear more about Sanofi's dedication to the bleeding disorders community. Thank you, Mosey, for your personal and professional contributions to this conversation and for discussing how treatment transition and the I'm fine mindset interact. I do want to underscore a point that Mosey made, that just because a new treatment or regimen might be available doesn't mean it's necessarily right for you. Challenging the I'm fine mindset is not an argument for rapidly and unquestionably adopting the latest and greatest that science has to offer. Challenging the I'm fine mindset is engaging in open-minded, shared decision-making discussions with experts and loved ones who can help you better understand what the options truly are and identify which of those options is best for you. Thank you, Sanofi, for supporting the I'm Fine segment here on Bloodstream. And we'll be back next time with another installment of I'm Fine. I'm Fine. I'm Fine. Sanofi aims to raise the bar for patients living with hemophilia. Reimagine what's possible by visiting rarebloodddisorders.com to hear more about Sanofi's dedication to the bleeding disorders community. That sounds familiar. Hi-oh. I feel like I heard that before. <laughs> Thank you, Mosey, for contributing to I'm Fine. Thank you, Jess Page, for contributing Mm. to the Elite Athletes segment. And thank you to the entire Bloodstream team for their work on today's episode, which, of course, would not be possible without our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Hey, up! Visit bleedingdisorders.com. And thanks as well to Sanofi for supporting I'm Fine and Elite Athletes segments. Visit levelsmatter.com and rarebloodddisorders.com to learn more. Amy Board. Bloodstream's back again next on November 10th. What can listeners expect to hear then? Get this. Maya Bloomberg is back with a Whopper. With a Whopper? She, (laughs) not like the Burger King Whopper. Okay, I may be hungry, but that's immediately where I I went. I know, I know. That's where most people would go. However, she's going to discuss, get this, family dynamics and holiday logistics with a bleeding disorder. Oh, boy. I know. (laughs) We're still only giving her three minutes? I was about to say, I was like, (laughs) it might be longer than the normal three. I hope she brings in examples. I'm sweating. (laughs) I'm sweating. And I'm going to be sweating until November 10th. And that's just what's happening. And that is all for this episode. Be sure, though, to subscribe to Bloodstream Podcast wherever you listen to have that next sweaty episode (laughs) delivered to you the moment it goes live. And loyal listeners, as always, mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. That's the email address. That is an email address. If you will. If you want to inquire about all the things about casting opportunities or if you would like to share some stories here on Bloodstream or just with the two of us, if you would like to feel heard, please email us at mailbag at bloodstream.com or you can find us on social media. PJL and I are on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on LinkedIn as well. Um, so we're on all the things. Come find us. That is very true. I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your other host, Amy Ford. And until next time, take self-care of yourself. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.